0: Hello and welcome. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everyone. If you're watching this live, it's three PM Central Time. I'm coming to you from downtown Tyler, Texas. If you are watching live, you're on my Facebook page. And so welcome, Bill Allen's Facebook page. Glad to have you along. If you're watching later there or at our West Erwin Live Facebook page or our West Erwin Church of Christ Facebook page or on our website at westirwin.com. That's Irwin spelled with an E-R-W-I-N. The street we're on and uh, the area we've been in for almost 140 years. It'll be 139 years this year. And so glad to have you joining along. We do these classes at 3 p.m. Central Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're following along this year from F. Lagarde Smith's wonderful daily devotional book, The Daily Bible, Uh, in uh, in, uh, chronological order. And it's been a wonderful uh, study for me, the best daily Bible reading tool I've ever come across. And if you haven't started yet, or if you're a little behind, remember, read today's reading first. And if you're reading today's reading first, then you'll be caught up. And if you have time later, then you can uh, go back and read some of the exciting things we've already passed. We are in the middle of the book of the law and it's nice to see uh, my wonderful sister Tia Clark here. Glad to see you, dear, and also my dear, dear friends, Cindy and Eric Mosley. Loved getting to talk to you Sunday evening. What a treat, what a treat that was. Um, And I know others uh, chime in every once in a while. They'll mention to me that they watch me, never comment. That's okay, never say hello. I'm okay with that, I'm fully secure in that. I get enough of those kind of hellos uh, all the time. But it's a blessing and a pleasure to know that uh, many watch these videos and I hope that they are a help uh, to you. Uh, the Lagarde Smith book, The Daily Bible, is a wonderful tool and um, we are trudging through. That is literally the correct term, I believe. We are trudging through uh, the Law of Moses. Uh, Lagarde Smith, being a good attorney himself, uh, has all of the Laws of Moses arranged in a very um, in a very uh, orderly way, here at the end of the life of Moses. So we're going through all of these things, and then when we get to the uh, to the end of these laws, as they're enumerated by Dr. Smith, then uh, we will read about the uh, the death of Moses and the beginning of the conquest of the Promised Land under Joshua's leadership. But first, we are looking at Um, Over the last week or so, we've been reading about all of the sacrifices and offerings and different kinds of things that the law requires of the Jews. And so I hope that as you go through this, you remember a couple of things in the back of your mind. Number one is the attention to detail. Does God care about how we live? Does God care about how we worship? Well he certainly did in the Old Testament times and he does in the New Testament times as well. Uh, you might say, but Bill, in the New Testament, I thought loving God was the most important. Well, two things. Number one, loving God was the most important thing in Old Testament times, too. But number two, in the, in the New Testament times, even from the mouth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, loving God is not separated from following his commands. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And uh, he says that in several places in the Gospel of John, and that is reiterated uh, and uh, um, encouraged and affirmed and commanded throughout uh, the pages of the New Testament. So we get that. Uh, We get that. But remember, as we consider these laws, uh, remember one thing, God's attention to detail, Old Testament and New. And also remember this, even living in Old Testament times, the psalmist in Psalm 119 shouted, oh, how I love your law. And again, that's another one of those things that's affirmed in many places. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and its uh, its subject is uh, the law of God. Uh, Psalm 19 is another great call to uh, be obedient, and to follow God's law and how the psalmist loves his statutes, his regulations. It's uh, amazing to read about, and again, we, see, we tend to read things through our 21st century American uh, cultural vision, and that's not a good lens through which to read the Bible. It's a good lens to apply it as we try to live faithfully to God today based on the commands of God that we read about in Scripture but if you're, uh, if you're using that lens as you read through this section of the law and the sections coming up as it talks about morality and specific commands and other things then uh, I think you're going to be you're going to find uh, a challenge as you read through this and, uh, and I hope that you're able to, to do that and consider it and ask those questions and remember the time and place and setting of these laws And then kind of uh, think about what they say about how we should live our lives today. Again, God very concerned with how we treat each other, very concerned with how we live our lives, very concerned with our worship of Him and how we do that. I believe the Bible's written for a purpose and I believe if the Bible tells us some things in those contexts that we ought to heed them. Uh, And that's that's my belief. And the Bible is either the Word of God or it's not. That's my belief. Um, So we read through all of these things about offerings. They made lots of different kinds of offerings. Some of them were grain offerings. Some of them were animal sacrifices and offerings, such as a lamb or a bull. Um, We see uh, birds offered as sacrifices, grain offerings, wheat or some other grain, uh, for those who were unable to afford uh, a, a live animal sacrifice and they were to be taken to the priests and were to be offered up uh, to God. We see the burnt offerings. There's lots written about the burnt offerings. Sin offerings. Uh, when an Israelite sins, then they bring an offering to the priests and uh, to God uh, in order to uh, receive that forgiveness. Um, guilt offerings, very much related to that. Uh, And we we have a thing that we read about called fellowship offerings. Did you catch that? Uh, Fellowship offerings are actual volunteer, voluntary offerings. They they offered them up to God simply because they wanted to, simply because God had blessed them, not in order to be forgiven or to, to receive a blessing, but simply to give God praise and thanks. What a wonderful, wonderful idea, fellowship offerings in the Old Testament. Uh, I hope you notice the distinction during some of these readings between unintentional and intentional sins. Yes, the Israelites were accountable for both. The fact that it was unintentional didn't give the the uh, follower of God, the Jew, permission to do that, but it did put it in a different context, and I think that's important. I think today there are unintentional things and intentional things, and when someone intentionally sins against God, well, the Old Testament did not give them much hope of forgiveness. Uh, They gave them some offerings to offer, but it's called the sin of the high and uplifted hand, where someone looks up to heaven and says, I don't care what you say, God, I want to do things my way. And when we do that, we put ourselves on the throne, and we have discounted the Word of God, the Bible. And we've said, I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live how I want. Unfortunately, as has always been the case, I'm sure, there are a lot of people in our 21st century American culture that believe that very thing, whether they admit it or not. How do you know if you do that, Bill? Well, when you read the Bible and you hear God saying to you to live a certain way, to do things a certain way, uh, to not do things uh, uh, certain things, and you go ahead and live like those words never crossed your mind, well, that's, that's the sin of the high and uplifted hand. That's the sin of arrogance that says, God, I'm going to run my own life. I'm going to be my own master. And that's far from the words of Jesus and the heart of Jesus who prayed and taught us to pray, not my will, God, but yours be done. Well, the sacrifices were there to bring about Uh, that kind of peace for the uh, sinner as they try to approach God and go before the Lord uh, in prayer and in worship. Uh, We're reminded of the book of Hebrews that says, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. And it talks about a better sacrifice and maybe that's where we'll end this study in just a few moments. All of those things talk about the, the readings we've had, also talk about some of the celebrations The Jews had the Sabbath every week, was a time of rest and worship. Not just rest, but commemorating how God rested on the seventh day. Remember, Saturday is the seventh day, the the first day of the week. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Uh, That is the first day of the week, commemorating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Jews worshiped in a special way on the Sabbath. They had special Sabbath remembrances, and the law spoke to them about what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. You remember that in Jesus' day, uh, the religious leaders had gone crazy, gone far beyond uh, what their scripture had said, and Jesus called them out on it. There were special feast days that we read about, such as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which included the Passover feast, that was a seven-day feast commemorating the deliverance of the Israelites uh, out of Egyptian bondage under the leadership of Moses, forty years before these words uh, were written. Uh, there was also a, a sabbatical year. Every seven years, there was kind of a Sabbath year where the Israelites had special requirements. And then a uh, year of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, comm- commemorated seven years, uh, seven, seven, uh, basically seven years of seven uh, each. So you had seven years, and then seven times that, and so on. That fiftieth year, that was the year of jubilee, and there were even more uh, uh, stipulations about that, including if a person had sold uh, their their land or property because they were they were poor and they had to sell it on that year of jubilee, the the fiftieth year, uh, they could get it back, and uh, as they negotiated. Uh, the, the scripture says that part of the negotiations revolved around how many years were left until the sabbatical year. So it's very, very interesting as you consider all of those things and even would be interesting in light of today and negotiations and property values and different things like that, uh, we realize that again God's attention to detail, he, he left no stone unturned as he encouraged the Israelites to be holy and to be faithful And we'll say more about that in just a moment. Um, One of the things that we read about in this section are the vows that people can take. And uh, we we realize are vows a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think they can be either. And we see that in some of the Old Testament writings, including some of the things we've read about uh, here. Uh, There's a special kind of vow called a Nazarite vow. It's a vow that is different from other vows. Uh, because it's one that is a a vow of dedication and there were others of those uh, dedicating themselves to the Lord for this specific amount of time but there were also some specific things attached to it three in particular uh, the person who was a Nazarite who uh, accepted a Nazarite vow and took that on uh, could not not only had to abstain from wine they could not eat even grapes they had to abstain Uh, from anything that was grown on the vine. So they couldn't eat grapes. They couldn't eat drink grape juice or or wine. A second thing was they couldn't cut their hair. (laughs) That wouldn't be a problem for me, of course, but uh, they couldn't cut their hair during the time that they were under that Nazarite vow. Um, And the third thing was they could not be around uh, a dead animal or a dead person, even one of their own relatives. Uh, if they had taken the Nazarite vow, then they would have to wait and do that mourning later, even perhaps after their loved one uh, had been buried. Uh, and so it's a very, very strong thing. It's a huge commitment, but they did that. And there are three very special instances of that, um, in the Old, two in the Old Testament, one in the New, of someone taking a Nazarite vow. And all three of these have several things in common. One of them is they were uh, accepted upon the person by the parents. And they were given to them even before birth. And God made a special arrangement uh, for these mothers. And in all three cases, the mothers had had uh, had had no children. They could not conceive. They had not had a healthy child. Who were they? Well, first of all, Samson. Uh, Samson was a Nazirite from birth. And uh, as you know, Samson and Delilah, that great story where she uh, cons him out of telling her his secret for his great strength, because of her devotion to her people, the Philistines, and finally, Samson takes her down a, a few uh, uh, wild goose chases until finally she wears him down and he tells her, and uh, and his hair is cut and he is weakened and and brought and he's blinded and he's brought into um, the the Philistine camp. Uh, he dies very heroically, and that's a great story that we'll get to in the time of the judges. Another one during the time of the judges, actually the last, I think, of the judges, and that transition guy between the time of the judges and the time of the kingdom of Israel, the man who would anoint the first two kings of the United Kingdom of Israel, King Saul and then King David, when King Saul disobeyed God. Uh, and he was Samuel. His, his mother was a very faithful woman, but she could have no children. And she prayed and prayed, and Eli the priest was there and saw her praying, thought she was drunk, but she said, no, 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 and she told him uh, that I'm praying to the Lord. And he said, well, may the Lord grant your, um, your request. And, and um, uh, his mother, Hannah, had told God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours. He'll be yours. He'll serve you in your temple, and your, your worship area, always. And she said, um, he will be a Nazarite uh, from birth. Um, and then also, uh, one more in the New Testament, and that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist's parents were elderly when he was born. They were all three born in the natural way, unlike Jesus, who was born of a virgin. These three were born in the natural way, but under a very uh, uh, unique circumstances and for, um, for John the Baptist, his parents uh, were, were elderly, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah was visited by an angel when he was on the priestly duty. He was a priest. She was also a descendant of Levi and Aaron, both of them uh, had priestly blood in them, but um, uh, Zechariah was serving as a priest when the angel came and visited him and told him that he would have, they would finally have a son and they were to name him uh, John. And that's exactly what happened and he would be a Nazirite from birth. Very strong spirited preacher. Well we we go on and we and as we talk about the vows, one of the things about the vows is that it's very important that um, if you're going to do a vow that you actually fulfill it. Better not to vow uh, than to vow and not hold faithful to that. The uh, passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 23 says this, verses 21 through 23, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay for it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. It's a voluntary thing. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. So the scripture says you don't have to take a vow, but if you do, be sure to fulfill it. And there's there's uh, words in the scripture as you read that talk about when a person makes a vow mistakenly, and I think that can, I think that can happen. We read a story of a judge by the name of Jephthah, the time of the judges, and he made a vow that if God would give him a victory uh, over his enemies, that he would uh, take whatever comes out to greet him first and offered up to the Lord as a sacrifice, and lo and behold, it was his daughter. Well, there's lots of theories about that, but I can tell you this. If Jephthah had actually made that vow, and if his daughter was the one that came out, and if he was intending to kill her and not just turn her over to the Lord um, to serve him, rather than to be at home as his daughter, then um, I believe that that vow was only compounded and made worse by the fulfillment if that meant the taking of an innocent life. I think at that time, Jephthah could have repented and sought the Lord's forgiveness for making a rash vow. And I think the Old Testament law, as we've read, actually speaks uh, to that. One of the great passages about vows is found in the book of Ecclesiastes in the wisdom literature and it says this in chapter 5, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. And then he explains that a little bit. Ecclesiastes five verse two, do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. And then verse four of Ecclesiastes five, when you make a vow to God, Just as it says in the Old Testament law, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Again, we take that in light of what the law says as it talks about um, uh, vows that uh, were uh, accidental or mistaken, as this, this says. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, the wise man, is simply making a very strong point. Don't vow unless you intend to keep it. And if you do make that vow, keep it. By all means, keep it, because God is not helped. He's not served by you and your many words. He's not, it doesn't make you look any better to God if you vow a vow. Um, but if you do choose to do that, it's a voluntary thing. The law says that, Ecclesiastes 5 says that, then be sure and keep it. Um, one of the interesting things about Jesus coming along, he, he emphasizes what the wise man said in Ecclesiastes. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath or vow." but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Verse 34, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. The traditional translation says. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is simply saying, be a person of your word. Tell the truth. When you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it, and stand by that. You shouldn't have to vow a vow uh, And to tell the truth. You should tell the truth all the time. Uh, that was one of the 10 commandments, do not bear false witness. And Jesus, of course, emphasizes that here. As well. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, Deuteronomy says, do not be slow to pay it. Uh, And that is an important thing. And why are all these things important? Well, the Great Holiness Code is is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, the first two verses. They're in the context of all of these laws, all of these uh, uh, written commandments. Uh, all of these stipulations and commentary about what all of this means. Leviticus 19 verses one and two, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, you be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We call that the great holiness code. Why is it important for us to be holy? Because the Lord our God is holy. That's why. And that's why as you read through all of these laws, as you read through uh, this tedious part of the Bible and the Old Testament in particular, um, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Take a lesson from every word. Be reminded again of those two things, how, how important how we live is to God, how, how He looks at every aspect of our lives, not to condemn us, but uh, to help us and to deliver us and to save us. But in that midst of that, he has commanded us how we should live. In fact, Jesus himself uh, narrowed down the two greatest commandments, the first to love the Lord your God, and the second, as you know, that we just read in Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, those are the kinds of things that God considers a holy person to live by. And that's how we're to live, and the reason we're to live that way Is because the Lord our God is holy. What about it, Bill? I can't can't live up to all of this. I can't even live up to the commands in the New Testament, much less these that I'm reading in the Old Testament. Well, that's where the book of Hebrews again comes in, and the book of Hebrews says Jesus is better. Better priesthood, better promises, a better sacrifice, and that sacrifice is the Son of God himself. Uh, Jesus Christ, Scripture says, was sacrificed once for all for the forgiveness of sins. And though the blood of bulls and goats and everything in the Old Testament law couldn't do it, it couldn't bring about forgiveness, it could give the people something to live by until that time when Christ's sacrifice would be made. And so we are thankful that we follow the one uh, who gave himself for us. And it's, it's no small order to live and to love according to his word. Um, Jesus himself said again, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's why we try to read and study the Bible. And that's why we give praise and honor and glory to God because of what we read there. And that's why we seek to live that way. Holy lives, not sinless, but forgiven faithful, holy. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday.